Good morning and happy Mother's Day. My name is Samantha and I am thrilled to be joined up here with my mom today. This is Nancy. <laughs> she actually came to town to hang out with her granddaughter this weekend and then I roped her into co-teaching with me. So thanks for working on Mother's Day. Well, you're welcome. Anytime I get to see, this is my first grandchild, so it's a really big deal. <laughs> Although I must say it's a little hot here, but it's all right. I'm, I'm dealing with it. That's right. That's right. And we know that for some of us, this is a day when we take great delight in honoring the women who loved us into being, whether we have one mom or two, whether we're in relationship with our biological mom or a mom of the heart. But then there are others of us, I know many of you in the room today, for whom this day is particularly painful. I talked to a few of you this week who said you'd rather just not wake up on Mother's Day. Maybe you've lost your mom, maybe she doesn't accept who you are, or maybe you have a fractured relationship with her. Maybe you long to be a mom and that hasn't happened yet. And you might just wish you could skip the whole day. And it's kind of a funny day in church because of course it's not part of the Christian calendar and yet there is something sacred about honoring those who loved us into who we are. And it also makes us think about the way our relationship to our parents impacts our relationship to God. In the last few weeks around here, we've been talking about how our image of God impacts our understanding of community, right? But of course, how we see God also influences how we see ourselves. We profess that we all bear the image of God, but how can we see God in ourselves if we don't see ourselves in God? If God is only male, if God is only white, what possibilities does that limit for those of us whose identity markers are different? What power structure does that establish in our world? In her book, God is a Black Woman, Christina Cleveland writes about how this narrow view restricts our imagination. She says, we are unable to imagine a God who proclaims Black Lives Matter, a God who says, me too, a God who stands not atop the social hierarchy, but at the bottom with the people who have been cast aside, silenced, and forgotten. When God is solely male, he can only show up as Father Sky God, who is nowhere near us. This week, I heard the story of a woman and her six-year-old daughter, and the child was home from Sunday school and reporting to her mother what she learned about God. And over and over, she referred to God as he. And her mom asked, why are you saying he, Ashley? She said, because God's a man, mommy. But why is God a man? And Ashley thought for a moment, and she said, I guess because that's what God thought was the best thing to be which made me really sad. Mom, I'm curious, did you ever think about introducing your daughters to a feminine expression of God, or is this kind of new territory for you? Uh, this is totally new territory <laughs> for me. Um, I was raised and always thought of God as my father. Um, however, I really wanted my daughters to both have a rich, robust, accurate picture of who God is. And I was thinking this morning that if we had hidden a blank sheet of white paper under your seats, don't look because we didn't do this, but if we would have done that and spread out some crayons and we said, draw a picture of what you think of when you hear the name God. You know, because we're all forming some kind of picture of who God is. I think it's a lifelong quest. And none of us has a completely full or accurate picture or understanding of God. Our individual portraits really depend a lot on the lens we bring to it, on our stories, and what we've experienced in our journey toward or away from God. The writers of Scripture knew that humans would be very challenged to understand God, and so they used metaphors, so many metaphors. God is a rock, 
a refuge, a vine, a morning star, a door, a gate, a shepherd, a king, a friend. God is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. The Holy Spirit is a wind, comforter, guide. God is wisdom, justice, and mercy all at once. And perhaps the most common metaphor of all, God is Father. Jesus depicted God as the loving and forgiving Father. Now, once our metaphors become so personal, they can either be really helpful or harmful in grasping who God is. And this largely depends on our experience with our fathers here on earth, what they got right and what they didn't, how present they were or how absent, how they related to us. I'm really grateful that my own experience with my father, who passed away about seven years ago now, was extremely positive. My dad was gentle and kind and very patient with his four children. He wasn't perfect, but he was pretty great. And to call God my heavenly father did not require me to recover from any deep father wound. But I know that's certainly not everyone's story and maybe not your story. Many of us have a picture of God that is distant. It stems from an approach to theology called theism, which holds that God is a ruler high in heaven. He's unrelated to our world and our everyday lives. And theism views God as transcendent, dominant, powerful, and as my daughters would say, judgy. One aspect or dimension of God that most of us grew up with, I think, was a picture of God as male. Sue Monk Kidd writes this, the images that have pervaded our speech, thought, and feeling about the divine have told us that the divine is exclusively male. Indeed, the image, language, and metaphor of God as male has been used exclusively for so long, about 5,000 years, that most people seem to believe God really is male. So here are some questions Samantha and I want to pose to you today. And by the way, I know you call her Sam, but her given name was Samantha. <laughs> what if God is not a man? What if God transcends gender? Is there anything to the idea that God is not only father, but also mother? How would our picture of God and our relationship to God be different and more whole if we could embrace this idea of God as mother as well as father? I'm going to be honest, I'm a little daunted by this topic. Well, it was your idea. It, it was my idea, but I'm daunted because I just want to name it. It feels like there's some landmines here. To talk about the feminine nature of God means claiming certain characteristics as feminine. And then aren't we just setting up another binary? American Christianity is new to this conversation about the divine feminine. And therefore, so are me and my mom. It's just important to name, we come to this as cisgendered women who have been formed by the image of God as Father. So today we hope to simply open up some new possibilities that are beginning to set us free. I want to be clear, embodied feminine spirituality is not restricted to those who identify as female. These traits can show up in our brothers, and for millennia, First Nations people have made room for sacred figures and people who are gifted with a male and a female soul. So if God is beyond gender, then certainly we see God reflected in our siblings who fall anywhere along the gender spectrum. Vanderbilt theologian Sally McFaig says simply, God is he, she, and neither. But for sake of exercise today, as an overcorrection, we're going to unapologetically envision God as she. And that means we get to claim some qualities as being inherent to the feminine experience. And I use that term really broadly. The feminine experience may be shaped by our biology, 
our gender identity and or the gender roles that society has taught us. And there are a thousand ex uh, exceptions for every stereotype, but the custodians of our faith have promoted a masculine conception of God for so long that I'm content to run the risk of overgeneralizing in the other direction today. We'll look at the way in which the feminine experience amplifies connection and the superpower of women and our mother God to nurture the space between us. As far as I know, no one has yet to enter our world outside of a womb. God chooses to show up in many ways, and God shows up as mother every time God brings new life. So we all, all of us, men, women, and gender non-conforming people too, get to be loved by this image of God who can teach us how to mother ourselves and our world. You know, I've been really surprised by how often Scripture paints a picture of God as mother. Some of that female imagery became obscured or altered in translation, but here's a few of the verses that reveal God as mother. First from Deuteronomy, you forgot the God who gave you birth. Now the Hebrew there is actually for the words writhing in labor. You forgot the God who was writhing in labor. Many verses use bird imagery, such as keep me the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. Another psalm says he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. And Jesus used similar imagery when he was lamenting over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. And then maybe my favorite from Isaiah, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, says God. And today, the lectionary gives us the most famous and most quoted of all the Psalms, Psalm 23. Now, of course, David wrote as if God were father. How could he not? To use the image that we've been pulling from in our journey through Acts, that was the outermost tree ring of revelation during his time. But now we know better than to reduce God to such a narrow descriptor. So we get to read these ancient words through the imagination and understanding that's available to us now in 2022. We get to read our scripture with a more expansive method of interpretation and discover how a modern, non-dualistic approach might open up this passage to us in new ways. Because even when David wrote to God as father, God was already mother. God was already both. God was already neither, even if David couldn't see it yet. So let's stand. Uh, we don't have to stand, actually, but let's go ahead and read this passage aloud together. And we're going to try reading it with female pronouns. So this might stretch you a bit, but let's see how beautiful this picture can be. Okay? Psalm 23. Here we go. The, the Lord, Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. She, she makes me lie down in green pastures. She leads me beside still waters. She restores my soul. She leads me in right paths for her name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. When I look at the psalm through this lens, some characteristics of the sacred feminine spring to life, beginning with those first few verses. I can't tell you how much I love that we worship a God who makes us lie down. 
That's my favorite. Look at this sculpture at the Atlanta Botanical Gardens. I found this this week, and to me, this image captures Mother God's invitation to rest and the wonder that God has built places of rest into God's own creation. In fact, in our sister tradition, Judaism, the holiest of holy days is Shabbat, and the day itself is understood as a female presence called the Shekinah. According to the ancient Jewish teachings, Shabbat is when the indwelling feminine presence of the divine comes home. Our work is just to receive her, to accept the abundance available in the loving embrace of Mother God, to experience the peace we feel beside still waters. And with the practice of the Sabbath, we can open ourselves to this with regularity, even in the middle of our chaotic, unresolved lives. Or sometimes we'll find ourselves dragged to the green pasture by the knowing hand of love. This happened to me in third grade, and I'll never forget it. I'm sure you remember, we traced our, my teacher had us trace our little hands onto construction paper, and then we folded them into a peace sign. And one side of the paper was green, one side was red, and we hung them at the front of the classroom. And if you talked out of turn or forgot your homework, you had to do this horrible march of shame to the front of the room and flip your hand from green to red for disturbing the peace. We called it changing your hand. And I was a pretty good student, but the anxiety, the fear, the threat of the possibility of having to change my hand uh, loomed over me. Like, what if I did something that accidentally resulted in me changing my hand? Could you still go to college if you changed your hand? Could you still be a Broadway actress, or did this kind of thing go on your resume? So one morning, we pulled up to school, and my anxiety was mounting, and I just started crying. And my mom was trying to understand through the, my tears what I was saying about my hand, and instead of putting me back together and sending me inside, she saw what I needed. Which one was, of the rare times I got it right. <laughs> No, you got it right. It was a pause. I needed a reset, and she turned the car around and took me home, where I rested and had a snack and told her what I was afraid of, and we made a plan to meet with my teacher and manage my anxiety. You know, not having to go to school as a kid is pretty unforgettable. School's so relentless, so implied, that that feeling of turning the car around at 9.30 is still with me 25 years later. I still remember thinking, whoa, my mom has the power to stop the world for me. <laughs> moms just know when their kids need a break, even if moms are categorically bad at taking breaks themselves. So whether we practice the Sabbath on Sunday or Tuesday, for a whole day or a half day, whether we plan well for it or simply give over to it when our overwhelm bubbles up, God longs for us to experience restoration. When we detach from our culture of hustle and consumption, when we rest in our belovedness, even alongside all the work that remains unfinished, we are responding to the whisper of our Mother God, who longs to stroke our hair, restore our souls, and fill our tank. So verse 4 of Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In this day and age, we're not that familiar with the image of a shepherd, but it was a very good metaphor for the people back then. A shepherd was usually present for the birth of the sheep. They knew each sheep very well from then on. The sheep are totally dependent on the shepherd for everything. We read in John chapter 10 that Jesus called himself the good shepherd who searches relentlessly for just one lost sheep. And Jesus said his sheep know his voice and he knows theirs. 
Well, in our psalm, two instruments of a shepherd are described, the rod and the staff. The rod was a tool of authority to keep the sheep obedient, to keep them in the pen. The staff was a tool of support. And the psalmist says that both the rod and the staff bring comfort. You know, I think for parents, and I remember for me as a mom, one of my biggest challenges was knowing how many boundaries to set for protection and when I needed to offer freedom of choice for my girls. They would tell you that in middle school there were too many boundaries, even from PG-13 movies. Yes, I just feel like you were heavy on the rod in the movie department. <laughs> like, would it have killed me to watch Zoolander? Because my memory is me at a sleepover hiding out in the bathroom for two hours because that was on the no list. Eloise has already seen Zoolander. Yeah, She's fine. sure, sure. She's fine. You know, sometimes mother love is not gentle, but fierce, fierce. Uh, there's a verse in Hosea 13.8 that says, like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open. That's God talking. Beware the fury of a mother who is protecting her young. I saw this video on YouTube this week of a, a true mother bear. Take a look at this. Incredible instincts to mother. You know, I've seen mother love and protection up close in just the last four plus months with Samantha and little Eloise. And it's been such a joyful experience for me to watch this natural mother love from the moment really she was born. For the first few months, Eloise slept in a bassinet right next to Sam and Will's bed. And so the very first night, a couple months later, when they were going to move her across the hall to her crib, which is literally like six feet away, uh, Sam insisted on putting a mattress on the floor and sleeping there just in case her little one got scared. Personally, I never went that far. I trusted the baby monitor. But <laughs> Samantha's love was both tender and very fierce that night. Let's take a look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Historically, being anointed with oil was a custom reserved for an honored guest or even royalty. In fact, it was a ritual of coronation. 
So for a shepherd boy to write of such a thing seems to me an expression of awe, of being so beloved, so dignified by his loving God. But I notice another action here that I want to linger on, that of provision, preparation, nourishing and caring for bodies. Because to anoint a head with oil, someone has to remember that we need oil, put it on a list and pick it up at the store. To imagine a God that prepares a table for us reminds us of how sacred the work of caring for bodies is. And to be clear, this is work that men are wholly capable of, but that has historically, systematically fallen to moms. In 2022, the balance of things at home is certainly shifting. Our three sets of grandparents can't stop commenting on how helpful Will is with our baby, <laughs> revealing their own experience with a very different norm. However, we would be foolish to imagine that we've evened things out on the home front within a few generations and that our perception of mothers isn't still formed by an image inherited, learned, and embodied of women in the kitchen, keeping track of birthdays and doctor's appointments, noticing when the house is out of toilet paper and replacing it before anyone else has to. This invisible work of domestic labor has been relegated to the feminine domain for centuries. And even as we work towards greater equity, I love how this ancient image of God preparing a table elevates and honors this quiet, dedicated expression of love. We were taught by the male administrators of our faith that holiness was about transcending the physical realm. And so I think about our grandmothers and their grandmothers who heard this preached while they faced days of endless mundane tasks that would amount to the bodies in their orbit feeling safe, healthy, cared for, anointed even. How must they have felt when Teresa of Avila famously declared that God lives among the pots and pans? For if we see God as a God who adores bodies, who longs to see our cup overflow, then can we be reminded as women and men that rolling out the red carpet for our loved ones is sacred work? That in caring for little bodies and old bodies and hurting bodies and too familiar bodies, we express some essential aspect of our God who loved bodies enough to inhabit one. And actually, all, right? The last verse, verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. That final verse, I think, speaks to us of the enduring presence of God that he promises us. This idea of presence makes me think of a feminine gift of connecting people. So often in a circle of people, there's a female person who's the one who draws others out. Here's how Mirabar Starr describes that gift. She says, the way of the feminine is the way of connecting. Women build community. We create community the way we create a family or a symphony or a good meal. Without a lot of grandiosity or demand for accolades, we empower one another. We ask questions, and then we listen, and then we respond. I am not, of course, proclaiming that all women are compassionate and relational. And I bow at the feet of my brothers everywhere who willingly abdicate and share their power and join us in getting on with the work of repairing the torn fabric of the world. So this rich picture of God as sometimes mother includes the role of connection and listening and being fully present. What could be more essential in our world right now? Feminine love can reunite us, and we join together in this intimate presence of God. 
And this verse promises us that we get to dwell in the house of the Lord our whole life long. For those of you who had a warm and healthy experience with your mother, is there any better place to be than your childhood home with your mother? Mother love never stops, no matter how grown our children become. We've had the opportunity to live in one house for over 30 years now. It's really the only home our daughters experienced from childhood. And I notice, whenever they come back for a visit, how comfortable they feel. It's a place so full of memories that they never want us to sell it. When we think of home, we often think of a specific place. But the truth is, home is fundamentally where our people are. And the mothering love of God promises to be with us, no matter where we are physically at any given moment. Yes, I love that final image of goodness and mercy following us, pursuing us. That means that no matter where we wander, we are never beyond the bounds of love. My mom makes these incredible oatmeal butterscotch cookies. They're called oatmeal scotchies in our house. And she would always send them to me when I was away from home. And you know how taste is one of those senses that can take you immediately right back to a memory? So when I taste these cookies now, they don't take me home. They don't take me to my kitchen counter in suburban Illinois. They take me right back to my cabin at camp where they showed up in the mail. They take me to my college dorm room and my New York closet of an apartment. These cookies even made their way to a picnic table in West Africa where I shared them with my new friends, crumbly as they were from their travels. There's nowhere home won't follow. Mother God is on our heels, leaving a trail of crumbs back to where and to whom we belong. So I wonder today, if you look over your shoulder, can you see love on your tail? What would it look like to simply receive her? As you reflect on the feminine face of God that moves us to rest, that protects us, provides for us, and connects us to herself and to each other, which dimension of Mother God might you need today? If Mother's Day is a difficult one for you, what would it look like to allow yourself to be mothered by God, to let her stop the world for you today and be held inside her loving embrace? And if you do have a relationship with a mom uh, that is living, may you find a way to honor her today in some way, if you can. Maybe you can even thank her for helping you see more of God through her love. And can all of us take some time to express gratitude to any human, no matter their gender identity, who has mothered you? This could be an aunt or uncle, a brother, a coach, or a teacher, anyone who's embodied the nurturing, fiercely protective, connecting love of God to you. I'd like to pray for all of us. Can we pray together? Heavenly Mother, how we thank you for this rich picture of who you are to us, for all of these metaphors that expand our understanding of how very much you love us and pursue us and want to be with us and for us. We pray today for those among us for whom this is a hard day, and we ask that they will lean in to this mothering aspect of who you are, God, that they will receive it as a gift from you. For any moms and grandmothers among us, we pray that they will feel honored and appreciated. And may all of us walk out of here today with a bigger picture, God, a richer picture of who you are and how desperately you love us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.